All right, good morning. Let's get started. Uh, I told Megan, I said, I said, we've got to cram two weeks into one here. And it's, it really is. Uh, okay, truthfully, I had my lesson done and lecture done and PowerPoint done. And then the weather kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I thought, there's nothing worse than having spent time preparing a message that you're never going to ever teach. And so anyway, that's all right. Who knows? I might teach it someday just because. But what I wanted to do this morning since we have, I, I just can't really jump into 2 Timothy 2 without starting off in the book and introducing that. So... Buckle your seatbelt for just a minute. I'm going to do chapter one in five minutes. So anyway, come on in. If you're out there, wander in. We're going to get started. Let me give my brain to the Lord here this morning and put my glass of water down. I didn't realize I was still holding it. Um, all right. I put it down. Okay, I'll mop right after this. Um Okay, so let's take a minute and pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of these words that we have in front of us. Lord, I pray now for an ordering of my thoughts. May my mind belong to you, Lord God. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart please you, Lord God. Father, I pray that your spirit would be loosed in this room to apply whatever part of this lesson is individually for a person. Lord, speak to them that they might hear your voice and know what to do with what they've learned. Lord, may we hear Paul from the depths of that prison speak his heart to Timothy. And may his words be as real to us today as they would have been for his protege. Thank you, Lord God, for your word, its timeless truth. Call us now, Father, to move our lives and adjust them to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It, it kind of hurt me not to be here last week because this letter, uh, I remember when I was writing these particular lessons because I knew uh, when you talk about last words, these are absolutely Paul's last words. And his heart is so clear in what he says in 2 Timothy. Uh, so we're going to do the first two chapters. Uh, this is a picture of the Mamertine prison. It is likely that Paul was kept anywhere from 12 months to a year under house arrest after he wrote the book of Romans in Corinth, went to Jerusalem to take up the offering or deliver the offering. It was there he was imprisoned, put on a prison ship. Remember, he crashed on the island. Is it, it's Malta, right? The island and the, got bit by the snake. And, um, and then he, after the six months on that island, he was taken to Rome where he was placed under house arrest. That was different than this. House arrest was a very different scenario. He was chained to a person but he was able to receive company. He was able to write all of what we call those prison epistles, those letters that he wrote while imprisoned in Rome. After about 18 months, it's very likely that he was released, let go. 
And from there, the church in Rome probably sponsored what we know to be the fourth missionary journey, which headed south towards the region of Spain. Remember, Paul had said in the book of Romans, I hope to go, or maybe that was 2 Corinthians, I hope to go to Spain. Um, but he went that direction about two years later, and all of these dates are guesstimates. He came back to Rome. I don't know whether he ran out of money and came back to Rome, maybe to take up another offering so he could go back and keep going. But we know he started churches down in that region, and they uh, were prospering. But he came back to Rome. During that time, Nero had come to power or had risen in power. Nero uh, had one thing that he was about, and it was building buildings. And he has writings that we have that talk about how places like Ephesus and Corinth and other places have these beautiful, magnificent buildings. If you've ever been to Ephesus, you've seen some uh, amazing architecture and buildings. And he said, and Rome, the capital city, is broken and old and decaying. So most historians believe that Nero is the one that started the great fires. He ordered them lit, and a lot of what was considered the old city, the old wooden buildings in Rome, burnt to the ground. They, uh, people lost their lives. They certainly lost their homes and uh, the things that they loved, and they were very angry at Nero. And so Nero decided to refocus the blame for those fires in Rome on the Christians. He said the Christians had started it, and he used verses such as, uh, the, you know, the Bible talks about lighting fires, and, and there, in fact, we've got one of them in the, in the words today, fan into flame from chapter one. There was a lot of uh, the fire of the spirit, all of this. Anyway, he found verses to use to blame the Christians and persecution broke out. That may be why Paul returned to the city of Rome. All we know is that when Paul returned to Rome for the second time, he was almost immediately arrested. And this time he was thrown into what we know is the Mamertine prison. And we get the expression throwing someone into jail, throwing someone into prison directly from this style. I've been there and it is literally a whole, it was a series of caves underneath the city of Rome, just caves. And they literally dropped prisoners through the, through the road on into the floor below. That dark Hole in the center were the facilities, and that was what Mamertine was. When Paul was thrown into Mamertine prison, he would have known, barring a miracle, this is it. Nobody was thrown in this prison that was allowed to live. And so, uh, when he writes 2 Timothy from this, from a situation like this prison, you see his heart, you see his life, you see all the emotion of what he's writing. And that is how we need to study these words. They're his last words and he knows it. And he's giving his ministry to Timothy to carry on the work of the ministry. 
and he says, I'm an apostle, he calls Timothy his beloved child. Not that he's a birth child. He was his child in the faith. And one of the applications I would make is this. All of us, or a lot of us, have birth children that we have given birth to. But we all have people that God has given us to invest in spiritually. And those are your children in the Lord. Those are your spiritual children. And we need to raise others up as well. Timothy was that to Paul. He said, I thank God with a clear conscience. He wants Timothy to know, I know my past. I know what I did to the Christians in the early days, but I have a clear conscience. He wants Timothy to know, I am living a life that's been forgiven, and I'm blessed. I'm at peace. He's grateful for Lois and Eunice. That's Timothy's uh, grandmother and mother. And grateful that those two women raised Timothy to be the man that he is so that he can be a person Paul could invest in. And then he says what I think is one of the most important verses in uh, 2 Timothy. It's flan into flame, the gift of God. When you were saved, God gave you his Holy Spirit and you were gifted to serve God in ways that matter eternally not only to your life, but to the kingdom. And so I would sit here as a teacher today, and I would say those exact same things. If your life, your ministry, is just a little ember with not a lot of power or heat or usefulness, fan your gift into flame. When God gifted you, he made you able to advance his kingdom through that gift. Fan it into flame. There are times when my teaching's gone flat, and I have to look at this verse and go, okay, wake it up. Because it's not about a period of time in the week. It's about God's kingdom purpose. Fan your gift, whatever it is, wake it up and get busy and work it. Fan it into flame and make it useful. The Spirit does not make us timid, but gives power, love, and self-discipline. If you are someone who can sit here in this room and think, oh, I just don't know what God's made me to do, and I don't know, uh, I'm just not made to be that way. I'm this, I have this past, I have this sense of self, I will tell you, none of it matters. What the Holy Spirit tells you to do for God's kingdom will not be a suggestion. It is not about your abilities. It's about God's abilities in you. Do not be timid to unleash the power of God in your life. Don't be timid. Know that you have been given power, power to do God things in this world. Don't be, uh, somebody ought to write a book. Don't be content to do good things when God has made you to do godly things. That's been the theme of my ministry since I was in my 30s. I just looked around and I thought, you know, especially women, we should think we should be a little more aware of this power God has invested in our lives. You were given the same Holy Spirit that any man was given. 
Do not let things limit what God wants to do in your life. There ought to be joy. There ought to be power. There ought to be things you do that you know God did through you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not a timid spirit. He is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, which means a God-disciplined self. If you're intimidated or influenced by people more than you are God, then that's something to work on in your life. People matter in the moment. God will cause you to do things that matter forever, that matter eternally. Paul goes on to say, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Fan that into flame. Fan the gospel. That verse reminds me of the theme of the book of Romans. I so wanted to do Romans with you because it is by far the best theology, lessons in theology in all of the Bible. And Paul, as the theme said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This gospel that you know, that you have been called to share with others, this gospel message is the same gospel Paul shared. It's the same gospel and you have the same power invested in your life that Paul had invested in his. Fan it into flame. Don't let this culture that is, I, I hate using this word because it's political, uh, all the woke stuff. I sometimes look at the TV set and I said, I'm not woke. I never went to sleep. And that's how I feel. <laughs> that's what I believe. I know what I have believed. I've never doubted it. The word of God is the truth. It's the same word that Paul taught. It's the same word that all Christian preachers who were biblically aligned have preached. We have only changed God's message here lately. Well, no, I say that. History has always been trying to rewrite God's word, and nothing can do that. It's been preserved. Paul said he saved us. He called us to a holy life. We are called to be different. Holy means set apart, different, set apart for purpose. We'll see that in today's lesson. And then, I love this last one. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Raise your hand if you ever had to buy a simplicity pattern in order to pass home ec. Okay, I put this in my lecture. I, I still remember cutting those babies out, and you had to remember to cut the notches because eventually you have to match the notches or everything just doesn't work out good. I mean, you remember those things. There was, a, was it McCall's that was the other big ones? Simplicity and McCall's patterns. I always bought the simplicity just hoping it would be. You know, I, it was terrible. The traumatic day in my life is when I had to wear to school that day the jumper that I made for home ec. I, 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 you could not pass unless you wore what you had sewn, and I just could not wait to get home. Uh, I remember trying to put it on, and my mom was cackling, laughing, because I was putting it on, and I was trying to tie the 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 tie that you're supposed to have, and I'd sewed one of the ties on the inside and one on the outside. It was bad. 
So she's got the seam ripper out trying to pull that thing through, and I'm just like, I hate my life today. So anyway, that's, I would much rather be involved with this pattern. What you heard from me, Paul says, is the pattern of sound teaching. Follow it. I don't need to rewrite scripture to make it more pleasing to people, and I never will. I don't need to adjust scripture to the culture. We have been given a pattern, and it is the same pattern for 2,000 years. Do not adjust your theology to the culture. This is the pattern, and it's the one Paul left for us. If you want to know the pattern for sound teaching, pull your study on the book of Romans back out. That's the pattern. We follow it. We live it. We teach it. We preach it. And we refuse anything that does not line up with the truth of gospel teaching. So, chapter 2 Paul says, so now, my dear son, he loves Timothy. He tells Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you feel weak, it's because you're trying to get your strength somewhere besides Jesus. The Holy Spirit in you has the power of Jesus Christ. He is the power of Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate the potential of what you can do in this world. Entrust my teaching to reliable people qualified to teach others. It's one of the things I ponder sometimes because I've been teaching this room for a long time. I sometimes refer to you as my army of women. You should never underestimate what spending time in this room has done in your life. The word of God is powerful. It's a sword. And you can slice up false truth with what you know. And you know it. We've worked hard in this Bible study to stick to the word of God and not people's words. Entrust what you've learned. And let me tell you, there's a lot of people in this room who are reliable, who are completely able to move into leadership and to expand this to where they have to open these doors in a few years in order to fit everybody in here. I taught people that I thought would do something with it. That's been my joy. He says, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Will it cost you to give the gospel? Yes, I think I put this in my blog this week. It doesn't cost anything to receive the gospel message into your life. It will cost you something to give it away. Just know it. It might cost you a friendship. It might cost you a party. If they think you're going to share the gospel, what are you willing to give up? for the sake and the honor of sharing God's word with a world that really increasingly does not know it. That's why Paul says, Timothy, don't get entangled in civilian affairs, but try to please your commanding officer. 
for all of these years that I've been doing stuff in ministry. People have tried to get me to be on this committee or this board or come and be on the board that does this luncheon and all of that. I have one measuring line, one measuring line. If it isn't about people's eternal life, I don't get involved. There's a lot of good things that invest in people's earthly life here. But I have one measuring line. I don't, I, there's a lot of people that'll give to the things of this world. I have a measuring line. If it does not advance the gospel, then I don't spend my time there. And that's just how I don't get, spend my money there. That's the way that I'm wired. That's my calling. Don't get it entangled in civilian affairs. If most of your life is spent doing things of the world, consider shifting it. Does it matter now or does it matter forever? Does it matter now? Does it matter eternally? It's a good question and it really does clarify sometimes where your uh, sense of calling might be. He goes on with two other examples. He said, we're soldiers. We have a commanding officer. Then he says, we're athletes who compete. But if you want to win the crown, you have to obey the rules. Now, I'm going to stand on my head here, but I've already said it, so I'm not going to dig this one any deeper. Bottom line is, if you want to compete according to the rules, make sure your words are according to God's. Make sure your message is God's. Make sure your motivation is God. If you want to be a great athlete and run this race well, run it for the sake of winning the prize. And you've got the rules. If you carried your Bible in here today, that's the rule book. If you want to narrow it down, read Romans again. That's the rule book. The best short version, the Reader's Digest condensed version of the rule book is Romans. And then he says a hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Farmers couldn't control the outcome and neither can you. You may work your whole life trying to share the gospel and only see one person become saved. But most of what we do for the kingdom, we won't know worked until we get to heaven. That's probably information that we don't even have until we get there. That's why I like that book, Room of Marvels, that I've mentioned several times because we live for eternal reward not here we can't even know it most of the time here some of the most important things you have done for the lord you don't even know you did it was a conversation it was a hug it was compassion you didn't even know it was a big deal and in somebody else's life it really was that's the truth you just Minister in the moment and trust it to God. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Here's why. Farmers didn't know if it would be a good year or not. They didn't have a farmer's almanac back in the first century. They didn't know if it was going to be a year with a lot of rain or just a little. What they did know is they would be able to feed people, their family, because it was their crop and they were working it, the first fruits. That's the point. You want to be okay? Serve God. Serve his purpose. That's the point. 
and remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended to da from David. That one line is the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. The purpose of our lives is to make Christ known, to know him and make him known to others. And the fact that he writes he's descended from David has to do with the sake of the elect. He, Paul, in Mamertine prison, is still begging his own brethren, his own Jewish brethren, to know that Jesus was the long-promised descendant of David, Messiah. And he said, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained. Uh, Jim and I talk about this sometimes. We fully expect to get some more arrows shot our way as we go forward. We are not going to bow and we're not going to bend and we're not going to change our message because the world and the government even sometimes tells us we need to. It's not going to happen. We will present the gospel. We will present the truth of scripture. We will share what God says. And that's our future going forward, even if we end up getting chained for it one day. That's the truth. It's that worth it. At the end of my life, I want to look Jesus in the face and said, okay, I taught what you told me. I taught what you said. That's my goal. So if I have to suffer like a criminal or really just be perceived as a criminal, and I can't even tell you how it's ramping up for people in ministry right now. It, um, Satan's good at what he does, but Jesus is way better. So, therefore, he says, I endure everything. Why? For the sake of the elect, because I want people to belong to God and belong to him fully so that they may obtain the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. At the end of my life, that's the only thing that matters is that I helped people know God through his word. That's why I get up in the morning. And hopefully they will receive him as their Lord and step into eternal glory. And then he says, here's a trustworthy saying. It was quite likely a poem or a song that was popular in the day. If we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign. If we disown him, he will disown us. That's a tough one theologically, but here's the point. If we are faithless, he remains faithful to us, for he cannot disown himself. You, If you are a child of God, he cannot disown you. He cannot disown his own. Know that. Keep reminding God's people of these things. I'm going to remind you of these things until the end of April. Don't waste your words quarreling about stuff that does not matter. Don't waste your life caring about what other people think and not so much about what God finds favor in your life with. Don't be focused on things that don't matter eternally. Do your best, he said, because they're no value and it only ruins people who listen. Think about Sunday morning at the restaurant when People are hashing out the sermon, and they liked this and didn't like this, this and this, and so-and-so said this. And imagine being a non-Christian in the booth behind that conversation. Are they going to be excited about 
checking church out next week? Probably not. Be careful with your words, and especially about the quarrels. Baptists blew it in the early 80s, and we were right there with them. We, our words got ugly. We quarreled amongst each other, and everything got weak. We live with the consequences of that. It's something we look back on and would love to have the chance to do differently, and we can't. All we can do is move forward and try to do better and do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved. Don't care what other people think. Look God in the face and ask him, do you approve of the way I'm living my life? Do I find favor with you? Do your best to present yourself to God as somebody who's approved, appreciated, valued, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. It's in yellow. I've beat this horse till he's dead, right? If you aren't teaching truth, you aren't teaching the right thing. You come to Bible study, you know the truth. Don't waffle on it. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. So true. Been there. And this is important verse. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Isn't that the truth? It's like, please, God, don't let me speak any ugly. And I just... I just want my words to build up and encourage and move people closer to God. And there are other words that do the opposite. Let's be conscious of our words. Let's hang to the truth. And I love this. Even though all of us will blow it. He said there are those. And I feel so sorry for Hymen, whatever these names are. Hymenius and Philetus because they are preserved for all eternity as people who blew it. They didn't believe the truth. They didn't teach the truth. I feel sorry for their mothers, you know. Uh, they departed from the truth. I wanna, I, when I, it's funny, when I highlighted those words, it was like potent in my life because more than anything, we are hammering this message to the pastors we work with. And do not, for the sake of a budget, the sake of pews, the sake of being considered entertaining and fun, do not depart from the truth. Our world struggles from lack of knowledge. It's the words God told Hosea, my people suffer from lack of knowledge. They don't know the truth about me. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. We named our, my ministry Foundations because of verses like that one. Because what I invest my time in is that if they go to that site, they get God's truth. It's a firm foundation sealed with this inscription. Why is that important? Because sealed means it's been undisturbed. It is protected forever original truth. And here's what the foundation of faith, uh, a solid foundation says, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away 
from wickedness. That's the foundation you stand on. God knows everyone who should belong with him in heaven. Don't ever worry that a wrong person is going to get into heaven. They won't. God knows exactly. Not only that, he knows when the last person is there. And after that, he returns. And everybody who has confessed the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I do not trust the salvation experience of somebody who does not then go forward and live with faith. We all fall. We all mess up. We all go through seasons where we mess up. But we ought to be able to see Jesus in a person to trust that they have been saved. And I get in trouble every time I say that. If you know somebody, you have doubts, invest in them until you know whether you should doubt or shouldn't. If you notice somebody who you wonder about, that's God giving you a nudge, go and fix it. Call him into a higher life. You can't be a wicked person. You can't denounce God and love him at the same time. Now, my theology is this. God knows who's going to be in heaven, who should go to heaven, and they'll be there. That's my theology. In a large house, probably most theologians believe he's talking about churches. Churches always have good guys and bad guys in them, always have, always will. They have some that are there for the right reasons and a few that are there for wrong reasons. In a large house, there's articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some of them are for common use. Every church has people who do more for the Lord and some that maybe don't seem to. Maybe there's some that do this and some do that. I love the way the Bible translates common use. Honestly, in the first century, they would have known they were talking about the bed pots. You made bed pots out of clay. Common use. Real common use, right? There's things that are special, ornate, valuable that you set up. And then there's clay bed pots that you just keep going through. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter. Those who decide they want to be more than that for God's kingdom. Those who decide they don't want to be a bed pot. Will be instruments for special purposes. Made holy useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. This is Paul telling Timothy, don't ever minimize your life to common, average, apathetic. Always be faithful. Be something God can use for his kingdom purpose. Live in such a way that you move from being a bed pot to a, I forget the name of those platters that have the checks on them. I was going to say it and I forgot. You know those real pretty platters with the checks? The what? McKenzie Childs. 
Aren't those the, they're so fine. Don't be a clay bed pot when you can be a McKinsey Child's platter. That's what that means. How do you do that? You flee from the evil desires of youth. What this means is you flee from immaturity and the stuff that comes with being an immature Christian. You flee from caring about all the stuff that doesn't really matter, and instead, which is a picture of repentance, you flee this way, and if this is all that you're fleeing from, then you face forward and you pursue, which means run after, like something you've lost of high value. How hard will you look for it? How hard will you pursue it? How hard will you work to find it? Flee from where you were going. The past, the youthful past, the immature stuff you do, turn around and pursue instead righteousness, being right with God, faith, that you live with the knowledge that God is real and you want to teach him. Love, which is God's love, agape love. You have been given the love of God so that you have it to give away to others. Pursue these things. Pursue peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Surround yourself with people who have pure hearts, who are also running that same race in the same direction, who are pursuing God. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I love that he says that. I get in trouble when I say stupid sometimes, but sometimes stuff's just stupid. <laughs> Why? Because you know they produce quarrels. I don't want to do stupid ever. It's just a good motto in life. I say that at the house sometimes. I don't do stupid. It works if you know what I mean. That's what he's saying. Don't do stupid. Do righteous. Do peace. Pursue this. Surround yourself with like-minded people who are looking for and pursuing the things of God. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. I didn't highlight that because I didn't really want to teach it. Why do you be kind to everyone? I don't mouth off near as much as I used to because I want to be able to teach. If you've ever watched one of my videos online, I don't usually, uh, you know, say stupid. I don't do stuff like that on the videos because I need to be able to teach people who don't know me. Hopefully you all know my heart. Maybe I shouldn't say it here either, but I really enjoy saying it here. So I'm... <laughs> I struggle with that. I need to be able to teach. I need my life to support what I teach other people. It's never always going to be that way. Catch me at the grocery store. I will let you down. But I really do want to live a life that people can watch and then trust what I teach them about God. That's important to me. So if you have an opponent, gently instruct them hoping that God will grant them repentance. If you have an enemy, look at this person and want God for him. What's the best way to give him God? They need to know the truth. Lost people act lost. Give him the grace to, that they need in order to be lost. 
and then enter their life, invest in their life so that they come to their senses. Same frame as the prodigal son. He is sitting there in all the pig's mess in the pig sty and looks around and comes to his senses. Same, uh, it's not the same wording, same words, but the same intent. You ever just looked around and gone, what has my life become? I don't want this. I don't want to be this. Come to your senses and get out of the pigsty. Come to your senses and escape the trap of the devil. The devil wants you in the pigsty. He's like, hey, there's food over here. Come get it. And it's not until you're in that smelly mess you realize, okay, this isn't what I wanted. Escape the pigsty because it's the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. He's talking about the church. There are people in the church who believe they're doing the right thing. But you need people running the church who know what the God things are because they don't make sense a lot of the time. You need people who in faith can step out on faith and know God's plan. There's always going to be people who are negative and quarrelsome. Love on them. Don't listen to them, but love on them. Because there's always a chance people are actually under the control and influence of the devil himself. And you don't want that for them. Pray for them. This is one of my favorite human beings in all of church history. John Newton uh, had a very lucrative slave business. He took ships from England and he went to different coastlines where he filled his ships up with human beings who were trafficked and sold like they were a piece of property in England. He writes in autobiography how he would listen to them singing in the hull of the ship and praying and speaking, and he would listen to them, and it would constrict his heart because he knew they were human beings. And one day, John Newton repented of all of that, turned his back on all of that, and he gave up his lucrative position. He entered the church, came to know God. He scrubbed floors on his hands and knees. He chose the most menial chores, because he felt like that was what he should do and not those people he had helped traffic. And he had to get to the place where Paul got to. Paul drugged people out of houses. He would have heard screams of their children when their dad was pulled out of the house. He would have heard it his whole life. He could have closed his eyes and heard it. And yet Paul in the Mamertine prison could say, I'm at peace. I'm not ashamed. I'm okay. Real repentance brings real forgiveness and then restoration. The past only matters because of what you learn from it. And John Newton became one of the men who influenced, uh, I want to say White House, what is his name? Uh, the man who really led England to denounce slavery. Wilberforce, thank you. I knew it was W. Wilberforce, William Wilberforce. And he went on to then influence the rest of the world. This is what John Newton said 
about his life. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. It doesn't matter where you are today after having heard this message. It really does matter where you are a year from now. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. That's what we're to do. And none of us are supposed to settle for less. I've entrusted this teaching to reliable people. And I pray you'll do something with it. Let's pray. Lord, all of us are not what we wish we would be. But, oh God, thank you for helping us become your children, the people we are today. May you matter more than anything else. And may we find favor, Lord God, with you. We love you, Lord. And we are grateful that you are faithful to us. We praise you. And we dedicate our lives to serve you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.